You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Well, good morning, everyone. Morning. Yeah, that's good. Uh, are we enjoying the beautiful weather? Yes. Who, okay. Who, who, who does yard work here? Who's like a, who loves yard work? Green thumb? Hands up? Yeah. Okay. Not, not many of you. A few of you. Uh, who loves, the follow-up question to the yard work, who loves um, ripping out roots from their yard? No one should put their hand up for that one. Uh, that's, that's what I was doing yesterday. Um, it, was a, it was a good time. And uh, unfortunately, artificial intelligence does not have the answer to that yet. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Artificial intelligence, AI. My name is Brendan. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I'm excited to get into it. But first, before jumping in, um, and, and, you know, I, I, I want to off the bat say, uh, I'm, I'm not an expert on this. I am a, an enthusiast at best. Um, and uh, unfortunately, everything I may say, uh, everything I say may or may not be outdated in like two weeks. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, but I'm excited to be here uh, with you this morning. So one of the f- first stories in our text in the Bible is the story of the flood. Right, humanity has uh, kind of like rebelled against God to the point where they have kind of brought judgment upon themselves. God is going to send this flood, but He sees Noah and He talks to Noah and basically tells Noah to build this massive ark to save a remnant of humanity. And in Genesis six fourteen, God instructs Noah this way. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch or tar inside and out. The reason why I'm starting with this, because it's kind of fun that one of the first stories in the Bible, God actually gives some engineering blueprints to one of his people. And and there's this uh, technological innovation that God um, kind of imparts on Noah. I don't know, and we're not told if Noah knew how to build a boat, and not just knew how to build a boat, but knew how to build a boat to withstand um, like a torrential rain pour and crazy amounts of water. But God gave Noah instructions, and it's like, hey, you know, you find yourself a certain type of wood, but also coat it with pitch or tar inside and out. Why would he instruct Noah to do this? To make it waterproof, right? Tony Reinke uh, wrote a book called God, Technology, and the Christians, Um, and a lot of what he says is going to inform uh, what I'm speaking about this morning, and he has this quote in it about technology. He says that technology is applied science and amplified power. It's art, method, know-how, formulas, and expertise. The word technology is built on the root techne or technique. We amplify our native powers through new techniques. 
It's this idea of taking what we do and doing it even more. You think about maybe the first axe that was ever made, right? It's probably uh, a, a, like a sharp stone, a flint stone that people would hack wood. And then someone had the bright idea of um, taping, or I guess they didn't have tape, of somehow putting a, a piece of uh, stick or other wood so that they had more leverage to chop it. And then um, there's a bunch of little iterations of the axe and saw to chop trees. And finally, we get to what we have today, which I borrowed from my friend Sam Workington to chop down the tree so I could get to the roots, a chainsaw, right? We have all these different iterations of taking what we do and amplifying its technology. So we have the story of Noah and the ark, the story of God imparting this technological innovation in a really unique way. And then just a few chapters later, we have the people of Babel, they get together and they say to one another, Genesis 11:3. Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone. And tar for mortar. Okay, see, tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Another use of technological innovation in the Bible. We have this moment of God instructing Noah to use tar to make this boat waterproof to save humanity. And then just a few chapters later, we have the people of Babel using tar to help construct their tower of like self-glory in this rebellion against God. It's fascinating. Technological innovations have marked humanity since the beginning, since this beginning of the story, right? The Ark, Babel, David's slingshot, iron forges, chariots, wall building, the crucifixion cross. And it extends past biblical times, right? In 1436, a man, German man by the name of Johannes Gutenberg, um, created the printing press, and before he did this, scribes would have to um, write copies of the text. And you imagine how inefficient it was to duplicate a book, to duplicate the Bible, to duplicate anything, right? You had to actually write it out word for word. Johannes Gutenberg comes along, creates the printing press, and this was instrumental to the Protestant uh, Reformation to um, uh, Martin Luther himself translating the, uh, the Bible from, from the original languages. So instead of it just being in Latin, uh, a text that not many people could read, mostly just the priest, Martin Luther took the Bible, translated it into the common German language, and used the printing press to disseminate it wi uh, widely across, across Europe. Incredible. Just a couple hundred years later, another man um, by the name of Adolf Hitler used the printing press to uh, widely distribute his Nazi manifesto, the Mein Kampf, right? 12 million copies. There's no way 12 million copies could have been hand-scribed um, by, by people, but with the printing press, this was possible. You know, fast forward even further, right? We all, or maybe not all, we have these devices in our pocket, these, these cell phones, these smartphones, as they're called, and they're pretty new, actually, when you think about it. Um, 
And, and in this single device, we hold more wisdom. We have access, sorry, not wisdom. We have access to more knowledge than like literally anyone who has ever walked this planet before. It, it, like that in itself is incredible. If you want to know basically anything that you could ever want to know, you could look it up on your cell phone right now. That in itself is wild. Yet, at the same time, we have a handful of studies that show um, the increased usage of cell phones and smartphones, specifically social media and the apps on the phones, has increased anxiety, depression, suicide rates. So we have these technological innovations, and, and there have been advances for good, but then also at the same time, instances where they have been um, taken and, and, and have led humanity kind of awry. And we're coming up to another one of these pivotal moments with artificial intelligence, AI. Okay, so I, I, I just did a Google of AI, and I grabbed a ton of headlines, because maybe, maybe you haven't heard of AI, so let me just kind of say what the whole world is talking about. Artificial intelligence threatens extinction, experts say in new warning. Uh-oh. Who calls for safe and ethical AI for health? AI anxiety, the workers who fear losing their jobs to artificial intelligence. AI means everyone can now be a programmer. That's fun, and it's true. I've made a website with AI. AI optimism, how embracing artificial intelligence is getting workers ahead. Could AI sell, uh, save Delaware beaches from catastrophic flooding? AI could replace the equivalent of 300 million jobs. The godfather of AI, cool title by the way, the godfather of AI says he's worried about the end of people. Bill Gates, AI is the most important tech advance in decades. Alarming and amazing all at once. TED Talks tackles AI with wonder and warnings in Vancouver. I love that last one, alarming and amazing all at once. And maybe this is your first time being like, hey, what is this guy on stage talking about artificial intelligence? I just want to go home this afternoon, maybe play a round of golf, hang out with my kids. I don't want to worry about this. That, 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 that's, that's an okay, uh, very natural response. But... The whole reason we do these Let's Talk series in the month of June is for us to be a people of God who are focused on like, okay, what does it mean to serve Jesus? And then with this little caveat, what does it mean to serve Jesus in the neighborhood, in the world we find ourselves in? What does it mean to serve Jesus in the world we find ourselves in? And the world that we find ourselves in is going to be a world increasingly impacted by artificial intelligence. And so whether you like it or not, just as most of us in this room have a cell phone, have a computer, have a tablet at home, whether or not you like it, it's going to come to your life. And we as followers of Jesus would best be served by asking good questions asking why we are using this, asking how we want to engage with this. Because I think there's probably too many of us in this room who have just had this drop into our hands and we don't ask those important questions. We're, we're going to be using technology, technological innovations 
kind of regardless, unless, unless, you, choose, um, unless you choose kind of the, the isolation kind of Mennonite Amish method, right? And, and there's, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. So where are we going for the remainder of our time this morning? I want to ask a few questions and hopefully give a, a few kind of guiding thoughts. First, what is artificial intelligence? Second, what is the potential impact of AI? So just in case, AI, artificial intelligence, same thing. What is, what is AI? What is the, uh, the potential impact of AI on our world? What are the responses we could take as followers of Jesus to AI? What is God's relationship to, with artificial intelligence? And then finally, we're going to end with some helpful questions we can ask ourselves going forward and also the opportunity to do a little bit of a Q&A at the end. And so there's a, there's a number up on screen, 778-608-3939. Feel free to text that number even while I'm speaking if you have questions that come up. And, uh, and we'll do our best to maybe give some, some thoughts. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's dive right into it. What is AI? 1942, um, this is kind of ignoring a little bit of history beforehand, but in 1942, there's this man named Alan Turing, uh, and he developed uh, what was called the Enigma machine. It's basically this, this really kind of primitive computer, really big computer. There's, there's actually a movie about it. It's, it's, it's a pretty neat movie. Um, but the whole point of the Enigma machine was to crack uh, a Nazi code, um, like a wartime code, and, and ended up doing it. And it was, it was really incredible. And, and later, Alan Turing actually coined, um, or it later became known as the Turing test, as far as like, okay, is a machine intelligent, called the Turing test. A few years later, in 1956, John McCarthy, uh, MIT um, professor, uh, he ended up coining the term artificial intelligence. So this is the first time it was used in 1956. He coined the term artificial intelligence and hosted the first AI conference. He, he brought a bunch of people who were interested in what it meant for machines to think, for machines to be intelligent, for them to do different um, sets of uh, systems, and, and you know, we, we ended up getting, you know, for the next kind of, this is a very simplified way um, of talking about it, but we ended up getting a bunch of systems of logic and rules kind of built into that. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever, like, opened up a computer or your phone and just have played a game against the computer, right? Maybe it's chess you're playing against the computer. Um, the, the, the computer itself has been built upon a set of, like, if-then statements, you know, if they do this, then do this, and it's a set of rules that that computer follows. And, and this is like a very primitive form of what artificial intelligence was at the beginning. It was a set of rules on uh, following its, um, as, as the machine would follow. Uh, you know, kind of jumping up more recently, we had this uh, advancement of machine learning. Machine learning. Okay, so this is 1990s to 2010s. Researchers developed algorithms, these big complex mathematical formulations that would uh, automatically learn patterns and make predictions from large data sets. What does that mean? Okay. If you've ever used Google, the reason why Google is so good at giving you the right answer is because of machine learning. It is, Google is sitting on so much data and like knowledge of the internet. So when you ask a question, hey, Google, what is the temperature in, in Dubai? It will give you the temperature in Dubai. It won't give you the temperature in Kelowna. And, and it's, you, we, we think that's like kind of a simple thing, but <laughs> the, the machinery going on behind it is incredibly complex. 
Or how about, this is probably more kind of pertinent and, um, and useful to understand this, Facebook. The original days, if you were on Facebook, if you were an OG user of Facebook, um, you remember that the, when you would log on to Facebook, the timeline, what you would see initially would be sorted by upload date. So you would see, um, you would see what someone had posted most recently, and it would go chronologically. Facebook, um, a number of years after this, introduced machine learning uh, algorithm on that news feed. So instead of feeding you it chronologically, they fed you what, you th or what they think you would want to see the most. How did they know that? How did they know what you wanted to see? Well, they had a very simple metric. What is the user going to spend the most time looking at? Or what is the user going to spend the most time being engaged with? So how can, you know, Facebook only cares about one thing, and that is the more time you spend on its platform. Same with Instagram, any social media. This is what I'm talking about here. How can we get you to use the social media the most? And so they, they realize that we're just going to feed the people what they want. What, and what makes people use social media? There's, there's two things. Things that make us really happy or things that make us really mad. Really happy, really mad. These are what all the social media platforms, these algorithms, they tuned in that people will use the platform most if we either make them really happy or really mad. What is easier to make people mad? It's way easier to make people mad than it is to make them happy. So are you wondering why um, you've ever been on your phone and you've ever scrolled a little bit and then you just feel bad? You feel angry? It's because, of the, it's because of the algorithm. And so there's been this whole amount of study about, okay, increasing polarization in the media, in, in our society. Guess what? I think a lot of it is actually linked to how the alg algorithms are built. It's, it's much more interesting for people to post something on the internet and to get a negative response from you because that keeps them going and going and going. You know, TikTok does this a little bit differently. TikTok actually measures the number of seconds that you are just, like, you don't even have to click on something. Um, you, it just measures the number of seconds that you haven't scrolled on, on a video. And then um, its algorithm will know that that video includes this, 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 this. It says these words. And in its back end, it will then match all the videos that are like that one video that you lingered for two or three seconds on, and it'll just feed you more and more and more of those. That's machine, that's machine learning. That is, that is a step in AI. And, and we've been living this for, for the past number of years. As long as we've had cell phones, we've been living in the world of machine learning AI. So, oh, and then, and then we go to the next one. This, this one's pretty interesting. They'll kind of build on top of one another. It's uh, deep learning or neural nets. So we had a bunch of researchers that were interested in, in trying to mimic how the human brain operates in a machine uh, form, right? And so, so they developed all these different um, programs. And then there's this one pretty fun one um, called uh, uh, Alpha, Alpha Go. And um, uh, if you've ever played chess, you know that chess is a pretty complicated game. Um, so we have a uh, chess. This is the total number of possible outcomes in, in chess. Um, it's 10 to the power of 50. Um, I don't know that number. Uh, if anyone knows that number, that would be, that would be fun to know. Um, has anyone ever played Go, the game of Go? So the game of Go is, is much more complex than chess. Let's go to, let's go to Go. 
Uh, it's 10 to the power of 170 for, for the possible outcomes. Chess, chess was solved by the computer pretty early on. I don't, I, I don't think actually I was alive, but there was like a, a, a big moment when the best chess player in the world played the best computer in the world. And there was like a, it was a big moment in the world, and, and, and then the computer won, and everyone was like, oh, the computer's going to take over the world. Um, but really, the computer was coded with a set of, of rules. It didn't even use any of these advanced um, formulas, any of these advanced AI systems. But Go... This AI company, they, they couldn't just teach it a bunch of rules. There's too many outcomes. So they used neural nets and deep learning to make the system, um, and they ended up calling it AlphaGo, and it, it can beat the, the most, uh, like the, the best Go players in the world. If, if you're curious about this, there's a free documentary on YouTube called AlphaGo, and it is wild. And then coming up to most recently, the reason why AI has been getting so much hype and talk about in the news is because of this thing called ChatGPT or generative AI. Quick show of hands. Have you ever, ever heard of ChatGPT? Okay, so, so, so a lot. Okay, great. ChatGPT stands for uh, chat because you can talk with it. Uh, generative pre-trained transformer. Really, in layman's terms, what it means is uh, it is being built upon all these other things, machine learning, uh, neural nets, all this stuff, but then it's doing this other interesting element where, where the system is actually being fed so much data, like being fed basically every word that's ever been written on Reddit. Reddit is full of millions and millions of lines of text, and it's basically being fed the internet. And then... This transformer is built, and it, it, it feels like magic, um, so much so that I feel I was like, I can't actually speak about it, um, I, and I need, to sh I need to demonstrate it. And so I, I asked ChatGPT uh, a question. Um, we can, we, do we have this video here? I asked it, um, uh, write a poem about Keith Whitaker, a, uh, a pastor in, uh, what did I say, pastor from Kelowna, uh, BC, who becomes a professional soccer player. Because that's like, that would be, that'd be a fun poem, right? Um, so I, I, I write it, and then, this is real time, and then it writes me a poem. Um, so let me read that. In Kelowna's heart, where dreams take flight, there lived a pastor, a beacon of lights. Keith Whitaker, a man of profound faith, whose path would take a surprising turnaround. With robe and Bible, he served his flock, a shepherd guiding on life's rocky rock. Not the greatest writer, but that's okay. But deep within his heart, a passion grew for soccer's beauty, for goals that ensue. On Sundays, he preached the word of grace, but on the field, he showcased a different face. <laughs> With every kick and graceful stride, Pastor Keith found solace in the game's wild ride. From prayer meetings to soccer pitch, he donned his cleats and began to switch. From sacred sermons to the thrill of the chase, his spirit of flame with a newfound grace. And it goes on. And then at the end, so here's the Pastor Keith, a man so rare, whose journey took him beyond the pulpit's glare. A testament to the human spirit might, a pastor turned soccer player, a beacon of light. Wow. Um, don't clap for me. You're clapping for AI right now. Um, so pr pr pretty wild. And this is like, this is kind of like a fun like parlor trick, but it, it's incredible what, it, what, it, what it's doing. 
So essentially, ChatGPT is the most advanced form of predictive text ever imagined. You can ask it a question, like virtually any question in the world, and it will spit out to you what it thinks is the most likely word to kind of come next in the sentence. And because it is fed so much data, it actually gets it right more often than not. When it comes to certain facts and other issues, it, it has has actually some issues, but when it comes to creative elements like that, incredible, incredible. So, you know, we can get into it more, but I, I want to just jump ahead and ask, okay, what are some of the impacts of AI? And specifically this generative AI, and that's this new wave of AI. It's called generative AI. And it's called generative because it generates content generates text, generates images, generates video, it's generative. And again, I just figured I would ask, I would ask AI what are, um, what is the question I asked? So let's throw up the video. How, oh yeah, how will AI in, impact the world? And um, it has some good answers. So first, you know, it talks about automation. AI technologies are automating tasks. This is like literally what it, what it wrote up there. AI technologies are automating tasks and processes across industries, leading to increased efficiency and productivity. It's great healthcare. AI has the potential to revolutionize healthcare by enabling more accurate diagnosis, personalized treatment plans, improved patient care, cool transportation. AI is driving advancements in autonomous vehicles, making transportation safer and more efficient. Cool education. AI can enhance education by personalizing learning experiences, adapting to individual student needs, providing tailored feedback business and industry, cybersecurity, environmental impact, ethics, and social impact. It goes on. But it was pretty positive. Like, the whole answer was, like, pretty positive. And so I was like, okay, what are, like, some potential negative impacts of AI on the economy? And it talks about a few. It talks about, okay, hey, job displacement. Okay, AI and automation can replace jobs that involve repetitive routine tasks that are easily automated. This could lead to certain jobs becoming obsolete or undergoing significant changes. And then it had to have a couple of um, positive ones, because um, I, I guess I can't speak too badly about itself. It talked about job creation and job transformation. If you are curious about it, it's, it's a free program to use. You just search ChatGPT, and it's, it's a fascinating thing just to explore. But I, I want to maybe just, just for our sake, hone in on, on two potential impacts, at least what we're going to experience in the short term. I, I, I know we have a lot of educators in, in the room in different kind of fields. Um, and if, if you are a teacher or in, in the classroom, someone, one of your students has probably used uh, ChatGPT to write a paper. Um, this, this is just happening. I, I have a friend who's a, um, a Bible school professor at, at, at Miller, and he talked about how this one student, you know, just like wouldn't write the best papers. And then for their end of the year assignment, they wrote this incredible paper. And, and Daniel, my bud, he's like, wow, this guy like really knocked it out of the park. Uh, of the park. And then there's this one small segment at the end that was like personal application. And the student didn't write it using ChatGPT and wrote it himself. And then it went from this perfect essay to this uh, uh, spelling error riddled kind of last section. And then Daniel's like, wait a second, something's fishy here. Um, I can write some incredible papers. It can, it can do some, some really interesting acts in learning. And I, I think there's, you know, there's the, the initial kind of gut response. It's like, okay, hey, let's, let's like get rid of it. Let's, let's ban it. Let's... Um, let's uh, um, move away from it. But I actually think that 
there's probably a better question for us to ask. Be like, okay, hey, why, why are we having students, and you know, I'm not an educator, so I don't have to answer this, but what, why are we having students like, write papers in the first place? Is, is, it, is it to just show that they have learned something, or is there, is there an act of learning in that? Is there, a, is there a different way to show that they have learned something? Because there's going to come a reality where it's like, you know what? It's actually not efficient for some people to, to write papers. Because if, if I could put my creative thoughts into a, a platform like ChatGPT, then okay, then we have, to, we have to answer bigger questions, I think. Another really kind of... Um, potential large impact of AI is, is with disinformation. Uh, so I don't know if you ever saw the picture, um, like, did you guys know that Trump got arrested? Like Donald Trump, he, he's arrested. Just kidding, that's, that's, made, by, that's made by AI, uh, generative AI a tool called Midjourney. Um, that's wild, right? That looks really real. What, what, but, okay, what about this next one? I think the, the Pope is looking really cool. Um, <laughs> I think we're, we're entering into a potential uh, season where uh, distrust could continue to grow online. And I actually think for us, that is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to give people the benefit of the doubt in a most gracious way when we interact with people through our phones and on the internet. And then to place a significant more amount of weight to our one-to-one in-person interactions. And this is like this is an invitation to like gospel community. It's like, hey, you know, actually, the the, the thing that Christians and followers of Jesus, this this personal God who comes and bees with us, like we we are invited to be that for our neighbors. It's like that's going to become even more important as disinformation and 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 those types of pictures are are abundant. So then the question, what is our response as followers of Jesus? Well, kind of two spectrums here. I believe there's a fearful withdrawal or a utopian embrace. What do those mean? Fearful withdrawal, um, we could be afraid of the technology itself, what it potentially might do. Maybe we're, we're actually concerned, and this is a good, it's like a concern of holiness, of like, okay, we want to make sure we're following God properly. And so that concern is like, okay, we're afraid of how it might corrupt us. We're afraid of the unknown. Unfortunately, this group's fear, I believe, keeps, um, keeps them isolated, cut off, separated from the world they are called to love. Remember, this is, this is kind of like a spectrum. I don't think it's an either or, but maybe somewhere along, the, along this way. On the other side, there's the utopian embrace. Um, there's the people who emphasize uh, the, the verse, all things are permissible, but they forget the other bit. Not all things are beneficial, <laughs> right? Um, we, there's this group is caught up in the possibilities of what could be, of, of how this could be beneficial. And often um, there's potential for serious harm because they, they miss asking the important questions of why and how. Uh, and, and there's a better way, but first I think we need to ask ourselves, what is God's relationship with AI, artificial intelligence? That's a weird question, right? Because AI doesn't show up in our Bible. You know, we, we did talk about Technology, right? And here's uh, another Tony quote, Tony Reinke quote. Um, 
comparing the story of Noah and Babel. In Noah, he commanded it, right? In the ark, God took human engineering and technology, wrote it into the grand story of redemption. But in Babel, um, God squashed it in the face of, uh, face of human self-glory. He introduced the tensions that utterly thwarted human collaboration. And I, I believe there's a few truths that we need to hold on to. As followers of Jesus, I believe we can hold on to these truths. One, God is the creator. He's creator of us. He's the creator of everyone in Silicon Valley. God is the, you know, a lot of people fancy themselves as creators, creatives. I, mean, I, I do in, in, in my, uh, my full time job. Um, but we're not the creators ex nihilo, right? There's, there's, we don't create out of nothing. That is God. God creates the physics in which these engineers operate. God is the creator of the innovator and of the innovation. Isaiah 54, Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fires of the coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy, yet no weapon that is fashioned against God's people shall succeed. God is the creator, God is not afraid, and God is in control. Right? Colossians 1 is a great reminder of this. He who is before all things, in him all things hold together. Right? So what is the better way if we have fearful withdrawal and utopian embrace? A better way, I believe, is wise engagement. Um, there's a pastor, Ray Ortland. He, uh, he, he has this, this, this fun, um, fun little quote, and he says, if we have technology but not wisdom, we will use the best communications ever invented to broadcast stupidity. <laughs> That's a great quote, right? Often throughout the Bible, and uh, you know, I, I think of right now Job 28, where Job is on this kind of, hey, where does wisdom come from? You know, it doesn't come from the depths of the mind, doesn't come from these things. Wisdom, you know, begins with fear of the Lord. And I, I believe that you and I will be unable to engage the increasing, increasingly complex world around us if we are not rooted in God, if we're not rooted in a wisdom that comes from the knowledge and the fear of the creator. Now, fear isn't like this, 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 that's the reverence fear, right? The wisdom, unfortunately, it's not always obvious. It, it kind of is like the slow build that, that it takes place over a lifetime. Wisdom, right? You, you, you know when you talk to someone, it's like they, they might not be filled with knowledge, but, but they, they're wise, and I believe wisdom actually starts with asking good questions. And these are a few questions that uh, I believe we can ponder. We have some in our pamphlets, but I believe we can ponder as well. You know, what does it mean to be human in an AI world? How should we use AI? How do, those, uh, how do we help those impacted by AI? What does it mean to trust in an AI world? And how can we use AI to further the story and glory of Jesus? Uh, I'm going to ask a, a few people just to come help me kind of set up for the Q&A. And as they do that, I, I want to kind of call our attention to a, a different um, technological innovation that happened about 400 BC. Uh, the, 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 per, the Persians, they developed this excruciatingly painful way of killing people, where they took two pieces of wood, a few nails, nailed them together, to form a cross, they would lay that down, and then they would nail someone on it and then lift it up. This awful, 
terrible technological innovation. If, if, if God can take something like that, something that man intended for harm and redeem it for his good purposes, we, we need not fear. On the cross of uh, Jesus on the cross shows us that God is unafraid of our technological innovations. The worst that humanity, humanity can create, God can redeem, and the best that humanity can create, God can use. Um, let's, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll transition. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to chat and to uh, dig into this. And, and God, I just pray that uh, <laughs> that we grow in wisdom, increasing wisdom as, um, as we talk about this. And uh, let this be in service uh, to our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, those who work for us, whatever it may be. Uh, Jesus, let us be aware of how you're moving. Amen. Okay, let's give this a go here. All right, Stephen, can you hear me? Trav, are you turned on there? Hey, are you, are you speaking, Stephen? External. Hey, yeah, speak. Go ahead, Steve. Nothing, Trav? We did have this working. Okay, external microphone built in. I know, right? All right, go, go for it, Steve. Can you speak? Oh, you can't hear me, microphone. Hey, check. All right, can you, can you say something, Steve? Oh. Wait, can, can, you, can you speak? External headphones built in. I know, right? Are you speaking, Steve? No? Okay. I'm going to... Hey. Can you speak? Hey, can you say something? Oh, you can't hear me? It, it's, your, it's your headphones. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Let's do this.
All right, this is rough. <laughs> Steven, I actually think it's your headphones that weren't working on the, on the speaker. It was my headphones? It was my headphones. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I'm trying to think. This is, this is a, little bit, a little bit rough, but that's okay. Yeah, go. All right, can you hear me? Yep. You can hear me? Yes. Okay. Okay, speak, Steve. Yep. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Okay, stay on there. Okay, this is, this is going to be a weird one. I'm going to speak through here, but we can hear you through, through the screen. Okay? Uh, got it. Okay, so I... Okay, as Stephen, as Stephen figures that out, Stephen McCaskill, here we go, is an award-winning documentary filmmaker having produced and directed uh, Luther, Puritan, Epic, The Church, Through the Eyes of the Spurgeon, and more. He was the president and director at Media Gracie, a nonprofit producing film and print. Uh, he was also the creative director or director of creative innovation, sorry, at Ligonier Ministries, a global ministry founded by R.C. Sproul to equip Christians to articulate what they believe and why. And currently, he is the Web3 and Emerging Tech product manager at Compassion International, where he explores how Compassion can use technolo technological innovations in their ministry. He's living outside of Orlando, Florida with uh, his wife, Sam, and four boys. And probably his highest, most important accolade is that he is related to me. That's right. I did not ask for that intro. <laughs> okay. So uh, thanks, Steven, uh, for, for, for bearing with us. Uh, I, I'll spin you around at the end. But... Um, uh, so Stephen was recently at a missional AI conference. Maybe I'll just I'll just let you take it away from there. Sure. Yeah. You know I'm gonna drop this. I'll pick this up when I need to hear you, because I can hear myself through that. Anyways, uh, yeah. Uh, let me turn this down. Okay. Well, I'm uh, yeah grateful to be here. Hey, MCA Church family. Um, so a couple months ago, I attended uh, a conference called Missional AI. I was being held at Wycliffe headquarters uh, just outside Orlando. And honestly, before going in, my expectations for the conference were, were quite low. When I think about how Christians engage with new technologies, uh, we tend to be several years late. Um, and to my surprise, uh, there were over 300 people there representing all sorts of Christian organizations. Uh, there, were, there were publishing organizations, children's ministry, uh, the Jesus film, if you're familiar with that, Mercy Ministries. And of course, uh, Bible translators. Um, so it was, it was neat to see Christians actually being at the forefront of this technology there, uh, utilizing it primarily uh, to expedite Bible translation. So uh, just just a little sneak peek into how that that works. Um, they they have a computer create an NLP. An NLP is a natural language processor. 
It's a branch of AI that focuses on helping computers to understand uh, the way that humans write and speak. So uh, an individual might translate, you know, from a, a language that doesn't have the scripture already in their own language, might translate Paul's letter to the Ephesians by hand, uh, you know, going word by word, uh, but then they'll apply AI and they'll create an NLP, a natural language processor, to translate the rest of Paul's letters and maybe get them 70% of the way there. So when it comes and, you know, and they just have to finish, you know, do, do uh, you know, quality check and, and finish the other 30%. So, you know, significant increase in efficiency and productivity. Um, and because of this, there's there's been a coalition of Bible translators working on having the Bible translated into every language, to every tribe by the year 2033, which is remarkable if you think about it. Um, you know, we've had the scriptures for millennia. Um, and this is only possible because of technology like AI and, and natural language processors. Uh, the other takeaway I had was around this idea of how do we overcome the holy skepticism of technology and AI? Um, the rapid emergence of technology is scaring Christian leaders substantially. It's not just because of you know, theological consequences of generative AI like Brennan was showing. I, I want that Pope jacket, by the way. Um, <laughs> not just the notion of, you know, do robots have souls and all this kind of popular understanding that comes with it, but the pace of change is also terrifying. You know, so there's a very real, holy, and I think biblical skepticism of the role that technology will play in our lives as Christians and in ministry. Uh, this technology has the very real potential to change, not the mechanism of how we work and how we live, but to actually accelerate the impact of what we're doing. So there's a stewardship imperative for ministry leaders uh, to not ignore the work that is happening in technology. And I would say for all of us, um, towards the end of Brandon's sermon, he asked some, some questions. Uh, I saw them on the screen there too. He said, you know, a few of them were, you know, what does it mean to be human in an AI world? How, how do we help those impacted by AI? How can we use AI to further the story and glory of Jesus? So, with a, a topic like AI, it's clearly not a question of morality, right? So, so how do we deal with it? I think there's two guiding principles that we can lean on as we seek to bring gl God glory in this new AI-driven world that come from these questions. The first um, is this, you know, what do we know? And the second is how can we love? So what do we know about technology and the potential it has? What do we know about ourselves? You know, we're, we're needy people. We're sinners in need of a savior. What do we know about God? Well, we know God is, he's holy. He's all knowing. He's all powerful. He's the creator, like Brendan mentioned. You know, think of the rest of, of God's attributes, the way he describes himself in scripture. So the first principle, what, what do we know? And the second, how can we love? How can we better love God? How can we better love our neighbors? The Bible uses the language of neighbors to talk about anyone in proximity. And that doesn't just mean people physically close to us. You know, think of uh, networks. So much of our lives today is, is international and, and global even. So as we engage with AI, frankly, any new thing that is not a question of morality, I, I hope these principles will, will be helpful. Uh, these are just some of my takeaways, but you know, what do we know and how can we love? Yeah. 
That's great. There we go. Back to the phone. Um, thanks, Stephen. Uh, so good, some good questions came in. Let's just get right to it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pose this one to you. With so many folks afraid of losing their jobs to AI, can you imagine a possible future where the church responds well to a significant loss of jobs across the workforce? How, so the church's involvement in responding to job loss? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, uh, I mean, that maybe Brendan can take the church question side of it, but there, there will for sure be job loss. There, there already has been job loss. Um, I think, you know, what, what used to take, let's say, let's take uh, copywriting, for example. What used to take, uh, you know, three people doing, you know, the work of three, you know, individuals copywriting, one person can do with ChatGPT, you know, the, you know, three people's, what, what three people used to do. So um, I think it's, at, you know, as individuals, there's this, we should all have this curiosity in, in wanting to understand this better and see how it can apply to our jobs. And then, yeah, how the church responds, I, I guess, you know, I, I don't know. Do you have a good answer there? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's interesting, right? As people talk about, um, like different revolutions, different industrial kind of revolutions, technological revolutions that have happened, there there tends to be a definite short-term period of job loss and, and significant pain um, because of that, and, and that is something where I think the church can step in. All There, there is a, a change of jobs, new jobs will be created. Um, but I think as a church, you know, the questions you asked are actually really helpful. Um, like how, how do we love those around us? And, and, and that can begin now, right? It's the the only way that we know our, our a neighbor loses their job, you know, whether it's from AI or from something else, is because we're actively loving them, <laughs> uh, as is, right? We're actively engaged in um, in 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 their lives and, and all that stuff. And so I think that begins early. Um, so I, I got a couple questions, Stephen, around the the bias built in to uh, AI, the ethic ethical bias um uh do do you have uh any any questions or sorry any kind of thoughts around like okay so right now chat gpt you know you, you might be able to ask it two questions and it would give you you know two different answers depending on on on, on the bias of it um do you have anything to say about that yeah so brendan started out by saying he wasn't an expert i i definitely am not as well but um <laughs> At, at, actually, at the Missional AI conference, there was a lot of talk around around the, the bias that these these GBT models have. Um, so, ChatGBT, for example, I'll just offer a few thoughts. ChatGBT, you know, if we were to look at these these uh, these models and how they these chatbots, let's just start with them, they might uh, look at let's say a very foundational layer of what does each word mean. So, you know, when we come to the word faith, you know, what what does faith mean? as a Christian, we have a very, uh, you know, specific understanding of, of what we, what faith means to us. And so uh, let's, you know, let's say at the very foundation layer of a, GB, a, a chat GBT is word by word, what does the word mean? And then the next layer might be concepts or uh, understanding paragraphs or sentences. So like, what, what's the big idea trying to get at in this, you know, in this sentence as it looks at it. And then you add your additional layers of like maybe the latest data from uh, sports, you know, events that have happened or weather or whatever. And so 
well, you have to get to the actual foundational layer of, you know, words mean something. And as as Christians, I mean, we, we have we have God's word, which uh, has a very clear understanding when, when we look at the original language of that. And so um, ChatGBT, so the, the conclusion of this conversation I had was that ChatGBT actually kind of has a more or less a Judeo-Christian worldview kind of already associated with it being created in the West. Um, but what happens when, you know, maybe more affordable and more um, accessible uh, GBT models come out that people start implementing that actually, you know, maybe come from China or, or places where there's not a Judeo-Christian worldview. And, and all of a sudden there's this, this kind of this Buddhist underpinning um, of, of each word. And, you know, the Buddhist understanding of heaven, for example, is very different than the Judeo-Christian understanding of heaven. And so the guy sharing uh, this with me was, uh, he's an exec, he, uh, not an executive, he was a, a technologist from uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, and he, he's originally from China. He, he shared, you know, in the same way when I'm sharing with a, a Chinese brother or sister here uh, in America, uh, you know, the gospel of Christ, and, you know, they don't have a Bible, uh, he's not going, he doesn't recommend go get the Chinese Bible because even the Chi the best Chinese Bible, the underpinning of it all was, was written by Chinese people that they can't disassociate themselves from their, their worldview, that paradigm that, that they grew up in, which is, which is Buddhist. So he said the, the Chinese Christian Bible has these biases because of the nature of, of where it was written and the understanding of, of specific words. So he says, if you can read English, get an English Bible, you know, it'll be more accurate. Yeah, there's, there's some interesting conversations about how, how language actually changes how we think. And, you know, I, I talked about the German translation of the Bible. Um, but before, before Martin Luther did that, there were dozens and dozens of different dialects. And he actually created kind of the, the, the modern German uh, mindset, just like uh, the, the English, like our English language um, has big roots in the early King James Version and in Shakespearean literature. Um, and, and that has actually changed how, how we think. Uh, and it's, it's weird how even, even you know, a, a, a word like hell um, is fascinating because oftentimes when we think of hell, we're actually thinking of Dante's Inferno. Um, if, if you're familiar with with that kind of concept of hell, with like you know demons, pointy ears, like like these things, and it's like okay, you actually can't find that in in, in scriptures, um, but it is fascinating. Um, okay, so Stephen, last last question for for us, but before we kind of wrap up and and go from there, um, you, you know, for 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 us normal. Normal people who you know may or may not be interacting with AI. How, how do you think we should engage? Should we take a step to um, to how, to engage? Like, like where, where do we begin? Like, if if I've listened to this talk and I'm like, okay, hey, this is interesting. I want to love my neighbors well. Like, where where do I go from here? That, that's a very good question. Um, I mean, the the two things you said about you know re remembering God as the creator of all things. Uh, you know, the physics behind everything and the, the raw materials which we use to make buildings and everything else, uh, you know, that's that's paramount. And then the wise engagement with with the new technology. Um, and then asking those those questions like, you know, what do we know and how can we love? And so, I mean, just practically where to start. Like, there's no better way. You know, it's, it's like trying to describe a search to someone. It's like, 
well, you know, all you do is type into this, this, this white square, like ask it a question and it'll give you all these results. And people are like results of what? It's like, you have to just go do it. And then you can, it, it, you know, then you can understand it. So, you know, we, we talk about generative AI a lot. I, I say go to ChatGBT's website and just go experience it for yourself. And that will help you just immediately get a grasp of what this is and a, and a better understanding. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's great. So, but before you go, I want to just spin you around so you can you can see the church. Hey, wave it. Yes, great. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Hey, well, S Stephen, thank you for joining all the way from Orlando, Florida. I know it's not technically Orlando, but outside of Orlando. Hey, thanks for being thank here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. See you guys. Bye. Okay. Hey, sorry about that technological hip hiccup. Um, As, as we go from here, you know, a couple things. If, if you know, you come to church this morning and, and there's, there's a burden on your heart for, 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 for prayer, um, you know, we will have people up at the front that, that, that can pray for you. And, and no, it doesn't have to be a burden about AI. It can be anything. Um, and, uh, and the people would, uh, the prayer team would love, love to pray for you. We, we know that God loves you and I deeply. And we know that we're called to love those around us with the same sacrificial love that Jesus himself um, gave himself up for us. We're called to love our neighbors in that same way. So this week, right, as, as we go, we can continue our conversation with, with, these, uh, with these pamphlets. And, and maybe, you know, you have some friends at work or some neighbors, I, I know I do, that, that are really interested in AI. And, uh, and, and there's some, some large ethical moral questions that you can maybe even engage with. I'm like, hey, you know, as a follower of Jesus, maybe there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a neat way to navigate. So this morning, let's, uh, let's go from here as people loved by Jesus, called to love those around us. Hey, thanks for being here with me this morning.